Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Will. I'm back with another Histopoly. And let me tell you something. It's been a hot minute. I won't lie about that. Been busy with a lot of other things, but I'm back and I'm ready to keep, you know, talking about history, talking about politics. It's what we all came here for. Love to do it. Love to hear from you guys, too. So uh, let's just hop into this one. You know, so when I talk about what I study the most, uh, that probably holds true the most about, you know, British history and Western European history, as well as, you know, some early American history as well, which early American history always makes me laugh because in the context of global history, uh, it's really all, you know, one American history. There's not really such a stark divide between early and late. I know I've destroyed the minds of some American historian out there, but it's my opinion in the global scale. Obviously, America is very, very short, but obviously... You could always split anything in half. You could split, you know, World War II into early World War II, late World War II. So, you know, what am I really saying? Anyway, today's talk is going to be about a topic that I've done a lot of writing about recently uh, in my studies, which is uh, Jacobitism. Uh, you know, a lot of people talk about this. It's a, obviously a big part of the 1700s and, you know, parts of the 1800s in the United Kingdom and in Great Britain. And before I started, I think we should definitely go over the definitions of exactly the differences between England, Great Britain, and the United Kingdom, because wow, do we still hear those three messed up on the daily. I mean, just a tip for anybody who doesn't know, please never call a Scot English in any way. They are British, no doubt. They're on the Great, on the Isle of Great Britain which is the, is, one, is the larger island of the British Isles. Um, but England is just the southernmost country. Uh, not even the west part, that's Wales. Help you with the Ws there. Um, and then north is Scotland. And those three nations, as, uh, as well as Northern Ireland, make up the United Kingdom, which is the governing body that most of us know today with the Union Jack and everything. Um, but yeah, those are three different things. Great Britain is geographical primarily. Well, except for what we're going to talk about today, the Kingdom of Great Britain, but it's mostly geographical. United Kingdom is the overarching country. And then England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland are like subsects, kind of. Uh, Post-devolution, it's a little bit more clear as almost semi-federalist states, but we're not going into that today, the political side. Maybe that'll be another one who doesn't love a good talk on devolution and Tony Blair. But more importantly... Let's talk about Jacobitism. So actually, this is, you know, a lot of people don't understand this. Jacobitism didn't start in the Glorious Revolution. It was really an idea before that. Um, the F James I, uh, or rather James I of England, obviously uh, the sixth of England, um, he's kind of the originator of a Jacobitist ideal. I don't even know how I just used the word Jacobite, if that's allowed, but I did it. Um, he's the kind of the first person to start talking about the divine right of kings. And I know you're probably thinking, well, in the 1700s, 1800s, isn't that very common for a king? In England, no. I mean, England has been almost anti-monarchist as long as possible, but not fully. I mean, they love to have a monarchy, but they love to have a parliament. So divine right was has been dead kind of in England for a very long time and therefore in Great Britain for a very long time. So 
when we talk about the, you know, the union of crowns in 1607, and, and we have, you know, Scotland and England both come together, they have separate parliaments. So just to put in context how much, you know, more limited power. I mean, these guys are over two different countries who are dealing with two different parliaments. That won't change until 1707 after uh, James II and the Seventh has been uh, ousted, if you will. So Jacobinism starts there under this kind of idea of divine right of kings. And then that progresses and it really explodes during the Glorious Revolution when James II and the Seventh was deposed for William and Mary and I'm not talking about the college. Um, so when the when their Stuart line is ousted from uh, the kingdom of Great Britain, I'll just say because he's he's ousted from England and then ousted from uh, Scotland as well. But it's a little bit more contentious in Scotland because there is a solid party who wants to keep him, uh, which will become the Jacobites. Um, now when the Jacobites really start, they start in two places, primarily Scotland and Ireland. Uh, and it, But it's not exactly a clear Scotland versus England, England versus Ireland thing. I think that's definitely smeared a lot. And I, I definitely disagree with it um, because it's not that clear cut. I think it's just easier for people to study uh, two countries fighting than really split into ideology. But more wars are, are driven by ideology than you think, and especially uh, an internal English war, uh, internal, uh, you know, Great British War. That's just, it, it, it's definitely more complex, and that's it's the War of the Three Kingdoms. I, I never really loved that name because, yes, it's being fought over three kingdoms, but it's not really three fighting each other. Because, um, I mean, you have parts of Wales, you have parts of the West Midlands who were fighting Jacobitus cause, and then you have part of Scotland who is, you know, fighting for the royalists. So it's not so clear cut. Um, but yes, going into it, one thing I think it's very important to talk about Ireland in the Jacobite, uh, sorry, wow, in the Jacobite cause is, you know, it's not so clear cut. Uh, I always love this because, you know, Jacobitism isn't you know, fully supported by the Stuarts themselves, who are supposedly should be the leaders of the Jacobite movement, because, you know, popular sentiment kind of spirals out of control, and these are not really amazing f leadership figures to really guide a movement. So, you know, when it first starts, you know, Ireland is pro-James because he's uh, Catholic, and <laughs> if you know anything about the Irish uh, history... It's really dominated by this Catholic versus Protestant thought. So obviously the more Southern Republican ideas, well, I don't know if I'll go so far as to say all that, but the more Catholic traditional members of Ireland are very pro-Stuart because they believe there will be stronger toleration for Catholicism, which obviously the Stuarts support. Um, but then they also kind of believe that there's going to be a lot more Irish autonomy and they'll kind of, you know, uh, pull back a lot more of this British rule, which is definitely not going to happen under a Stuart. I mean, these are people who are pushing towards a more absolutionist view of monarchy, and they're not going to, you know, grant any more autonomy, especially to Ireland, which isn't exactly seen with such high regard. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, James does fight William 
in Ireland, and you know uh, that's obviously a huge point of uh, Jacobite history and culture. But uh, I would I would very heavily doubt that any Stuart would really grant any Irish autonomy in any way. Um, but probably moving on from Ireland, the most famous place associated with uh, Jacobitism is Scotland. There's always been, you know, a Scottish underlying anti-English sentiment to this. And, you know, uh, they're not part of the Church of England. So James is going to be more tolerant. And, you know, they support, there's a lot more support for him in Scotland. Like I said, it's not 100%. And obviously there's parts of England that support him. But Scotland really becomes this figurehead. And that's where a lot of these, you know, attempted revolutions and wars really start. Um, obviously supported by Catholic nations such as Spain and primarily France. Uh, this is like, you know, just, you know, how much do Spain and France really care about the Stuarts themselves? Less so definitely more than just trying to flip the United Kingdom to a, a more Catholic rule is obviously the goal of the French and Spanish, which... It, you know, it, it, I think it's interesting to talk about religious politics in this point because it's not like, obviously there's certain people in France and Spain who really do believe in their Catholic mission, but it's definitely more of a power play. I feel that's definitely been widely covered. Um, you just want people on your side, quote unquote. Um, but yeah, when, you, when we talk about, let's talk about some of the leaders of these movements because they have their own line of succession, the Stuarts, and if you're wondering really why it dies out, Certainly the line dying out doesn't help. So it starts with James II and the seventh, who's deposed. And then there's a strong, you know, support for maybe his reinstallment, uh, which does not happen, obviously. And then there comes another James next, who would be theoretically James III and the eighth. Uh, he's more commonly referred to as the old pretender. I'm not sure if a lot of people have heard that term. I'm, I'm sure you have if you if you know a lot about uh, United Kingdom history. Um, but yeah, he's called the old pretender because how insanely long, uh, you know, he lived on and really pushed this narrative and this claim that, uh, you know, he should be on the throne and the Stuart line should be restored. He's called the old pretender because of how old he gets, not to mention also because of his son, Charles, or Bonnie Prince Charlie, who will be known as the Young Pretender, uh, who is a lot more charismatic, he's younger, definitely a lot more of a troublemaker, a charlatan even, I've heard some people claim. I mean, yeah, he's a straight-up liar at certain points. Uh, but he's somebody who pushes a lot stronger than the Old Pretender. Uh, Bonnie Prince Charlie is probably the last famous figure of Jacobitism, who's really still held in high reverence by some. You know, he, he launched his own revolution with claims that France would support him and, you know, claims of a uh, large army coming and all that. Uh, it's not to say that it wasn't totally successful. There was definitely successes, but too big for his britches in some ways. And then he kind of washes out, runs away, uh, allegedly in women's clothing. And obviously impossible to verify such a story. Um, but yeah, you know, he he does end up basically, uh, you know, drinking his life away, uh, not really becoming anything and not having any kids that were legitimate. Uh, probably had some illegitimate ones, but legitimately uh, no children, which left his brother. Uh, so there was another one named Henry Stewart. 
And he definitely could have been uh, another source of the line. But unfortunately, uh, as the Stuart line is devoutly Catholic, he became a cardinal. And he lived for a long time in the Papal States, um, which is why he's commonly referred to as the Cardinal Duke of York. He actually called himself the Cardinal uh, called the Duke of York because he thought his title was really cardinal and that people shouldn't call him Duke of York, but that's what he's called, um, which is, you know, very interesting uh, that he kind of choose, uh, he kind of chose the religious life over this political life that his family was so high uh, on. But yeah, he, after him, that's really the end of the direct line of the Stuarts. You can obviously trace it back as you can do with all, th- with all things, but it loses its strength when you have to climb back from before uh, James II and the Seventh, who was a legitimate monarch for a considerable period of time. Um, but it, it's interesting, too, what kind of happens to Jacobitism after the fall of it. So obviously, you know, by the mid to late 1700s, any serious threat um, by the Jacobites is basically done. You know, post-1745, it's a lot weaker. You don't really hear too many claims on anymore. You'll hear a, a bit pop up here and there. Um, but for the most part with Bonnie Prince Charlie getting kind of drunk and being weak and uh, the Cardinal Duke of York being so devoutly, uh, you know, towards his religious studies, it just doesn't gain traction as much. But I love the romantic revival. I know it's been called this a hundred times of Jacobitism in Scottish society, especially. Um, you'll hear songs and you'll hear uh, poems and books in Scottish uh, history around the 1800s and the romantic period where, you know, it's even late 1700s where it just glorifies Jacobitism. And it's almost like it's allowed to because it's been less it's been made less serious. You know, it's like this more nostalgic look on what could have been and what, what these beliefs really stood for and kind of just getting the ideas back into thought instead of like an actual revolutionary thought. And that's really where where most people know Jacobitism from. Uh, songs, I mean, the Corys will sing about it. Uh, you know, Walter Scott obviously writes a lot about this topic. Um, and that's really what makes the Jacobitism movement so famously influential or else it would just be this failed revolutionary thought but instead it's this intrinsic part of a lot of scottish culture you know parts of irish culture even parts of english and welsh culture um and that's really almost like the big win in the end uh by the Stuart line uh you know it's really interesting to see this evolution of thought if you will um where this idea that would you know get you beheaded you know a century prior is now uh looked a lot more on with just ugh, you know i don't agree with that. i can't believe the jacobites are still going um so it, it allows it to prosper and allows it to grow and become you know still part of uh the main topics in british history but yeah i mean the jacobites are one of the most interesting group of people in my opinion Uh, Because obviously, you know, here I'm just doing a quick over, like I'm not going into all the different revolutions and battles and, you know, deep ideologies uh, because, wow, does it go on. Uh, This is just, you know, it's so interesting to see a group of people, 
you know, push for absolutism instead of against it, especially at this time, you know, mid 1700s, right before the big age of revolution. And they're almost like a pre counter revolutionary force. It's just, but they're also revolutionary. I mean, it's just a very interesting deep dive. And I would recommend you to do a lot more reading on your own on this topic, um, especially on with the old pretender and the young pretender, uh, just great characters. I mean, you know, you see this reference in popular shows like Outlander and things like that, where it's just a good story. And it's just it's always more to look at and more to read about. And that's really my favorite part of, uh, you know, world history, European history, but especially this specific moment in British history. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I would love to go more in depth about different parts of British history, and I'm probably going to lean more that way uh, lately just because of what I've been studying uh, the past year or two uh, while I haven't, you know, been uploading. Um, but yeah, uh, thank you guys for all popping in. It's been a hot minute since I've gotten on here, and it feels good just to talk about this stuff. If you ever want to talk to me, obviously, reach out on Instagram or Twitter, Histopoly. It'll pop up right away because it's a rather interesting name. I thought I did a good job with that, making it pretty distinct. Um, but yeah, um, hopefully this measures up to some of my earlier stuff, which I know you guys enjoyed, so I appreciate that. Um, yeah, uh, hopefully I can get some more of this out to you soon. Uh, if you have any ideas, let me know. Um, and yeah, you know, Jacobitism, you could still join the, the Royal Stuart Society. So if you get really into it, you know, I'm not saying any anti-monarchist thought here or anti, you know, Windsor thought, but it's just something to think about that there's some interesting ideas going on. I'm not personally into absolutism, but I can definitely see the arguments against the so-called glorious revolution, which I'm sure I will do an episode on in the future. Anyway, thanks. Hope to see you again soon. And uh, you know what? You know, just stay studying. All right. Have a good day.